okay? And the word is change. That word is, is pretty big, and I really want you to ponder it. And what I want you to, uh, how, kinda, how I want to direct you is I want you to think about what that word means to you. When you hear the word change, what thoughts come from that word? How do you feel when you think of that word? And, and I want you to think about how that word has affected you in your past. Change could be for the better in some cases. I think we can all agree with that. When you think about some of the good changes in your life, they might bring a smile to your face. Maybe, maybe there were challenges with those, but overall, you look back and think, that was a good change. I'll tell you a little story. When my wife and I, Kristen, um, approached our first anniversary, something began to change in Kristen's behavior. She would, she would come home from work and we'd have dinner and then she would just fall asleep and she would sleep through the rest of the evening all the way through the night to the next morning when she would get up from work. I guess we were maybe a bit slow to catch on, but nine months later we became parents, okay? That's what was happening. And our first daughter, Riley, was born. Now, when Riley came into the world, she didn't make a peep, literally. Mom and her had been through over 20 hours of labor, and when she came out, she just looked around the room, no crying. The doctors began to take care of her. There really wasn't anything to worry about. When, but when they were cleaning her off and getting her ready to put her into her mother's arms, they were a little bit rough with her because they wanted her to cry. They wanted her to get those, those first breaths into her lungs so that, that things would start to, to go the right direction. And so I remember them just rubbing her and few cries came out. But after that, she was quiet. Bringing her home, I know that as first-time parents, God blessed us with a very easygoing child. We slowly figured out the routine of being parents. We were very intentional on how we raised her, and, and in fact, we raised her around our schedule. We took her everywhere, and she turned out to be a very chill child, rarely upset always happy, and very easy to pass around to family members and, and friends in our church. She didn't care who was holding her. In fact, when she was a baby, my brother-in-laws would call her Smiley Riley because she was always smiling. Two and a half years passed of parenting this girl in establishing routines, and we brought our second daughter into the world. And that transition from one to two children was challenging for us. I mean, it's not that we thought it would just be a breeze. We knew there was going to be some hardships, but we weren't quite prepared for this. And, and I know this is going to sound silly, but we didn't expect the difference that would come with a second child. It's almost as if in my head I just assumed that this next child would be much like raising the first. 
that she would have the same mannerism, she would have the same discipline needs, kind of the same personality, and every other thing like that. I just, I just had grown used to that. I, I had grown accustomed to that. And strangely, I never thought that it would be much different. Enter Brenly. And what an entrance she made. Her first breaths brought loud screams that didn't stop for I don't know how long. She was not happy. And I remember thinking as I heard this screaming child for the next few hours, what did we do? Is it going to be like this all the time? Is she going to scream for the next few years of her life? What I had known and what I had gotten used to, everything that had become comfortable changed in a matter of minutes. Change had come and it was forever different. Big surprise, right? Our children were different. It was a change that brought us a healthy baby girl and we will celebrate that and continue to celebrate that. And I would never change any of that. It was a change that challenged us, but it turned out great. And truthfully, it was was the best lesson that we needed. God knew perfectly how to teach us to prepare us for child number three and child number four. And here's, here's the surprise, they were all different. But life sometimes brings change that isn't something that turns out for the better. Sometimes change is something that we detest, we don't like. It ruins life, so to say. It it changes our life's plans. It maybe alters our dreams for the future. There's a wide list of things that affects people. Death of a loved one. Loss of a job. A bad year. Panic sometimes sets in, and, and sometimes we worry, what are we going to do? How are we going to get by? How are we going to pay for things? What else can I do? What other options do I have? How am I going to take care of my family? And these kinds of changes lead us into worry, frustration, anger. Sometimes we try to fight that change. We don't want it to happen. It brings discomfort. It ruins what we already know and trust and what we're comfortable with. But most of the times, it's something that's going to happen whether we like it or not. And we try not to just lay down and let it steamroll us. We want to fight and push back against it. We don't like it. Change in this matter is really tough to deal with. And today, I want to introduce you to a little history lesson. In this this part of Romans, Paul is addressing this change. God's people, the Jews, are being taught something different. And it's hard. So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles or your apps, and we're going to take this piece by piece because I want to talk us through it and, and understand what's going on. And we're going to read, in, uh, starting in chapter 9, verse 30, Paul says this, What shall we say then? 
that Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as, this, as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now let's stop there. What we find out here is that Paul is again going to give the gospel message like he often does And he's going to get into explaining the change that has happened for the Jews, God's chosen people, but as well as the Gentiles, those who were not of Jewish culture. You see, you have to understand that up to this point, Jesus' death on the cross, to gain righteousness in the Jewish culture, the Jews had to follow the law of Moses. And by that time, the law's had grown to many, 613 total laws. And the laws showed them and told them, if you do this and obey this, you will gain righteousness. And the Jews took that very seriously. 613 things that you had to get right in order to be perfect to gain righteousness in the eyes of God. And here's the problem that the Jews were facing. They took pride in those laws. Depending on how well you followed them, really kind of gave you a sort of respect and a a status within the culture. What truly happened was faith wasn't a part of it anymore. It was just how well we did it. And that Therein lies the problem. You see, God did not deliver those laws for people to gain a sense of pride with. He delivered those laws to show his people how unobtainable righteousness was and how much they needed a savior. Paul even quotes an Old Testament scripture here from Isaiah 28, 16, and it said, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You see, the scripture of the Jews, the laws of the Jews, all predicted the coming of a Savior. Somebody who would change the structure of their belief and who would cover them in righteousness. The Savior came, and most of God's people desired to choose tradition of law over the reality of a Savior. The Savior was this stumbling block, this rock that would make them think about it. Somebody that would make them change their traditions to follow a new and long-time foretold promise. Let's continue on, chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Paul is adamant about his desire for the Jews to know and believe Jesus Christ as their Savior. He doesn't want them to miss the the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the importance of it. He desires that everyone would, would change this tradition to follow Jesus and understand that his blood covered the sins of the people forever. And that the message was now for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, change. He does say it a little strangely, but Paul is pointing out that a person doesn't have to go to Christ or do anything in order that they might be saved. They do not have to do anything to obtain righteousness anymore. It is brought to them. Rather, God is now with them through the deliverance of the Holy Spirit. The word is near you, he says. It's in your mouth and in your heart. You see, Paul wants people to know that when they believe in Christ, righteousness is given before the Father and there's a personal relationship through the Holy Spirit with him. It's a big change, but it's a good change, a better change, and frankly, the best change. And how do you receive this? Let's jump back in, verse nine. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For what the heart For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul states... The gospel message as clear as it could possibly be in this section of the passage. And it's not the first time that Paul has taught this gospel message in the book of Romans. But he understands the importance of sharing this message over and over and over again. And you see it here, he shares it once more. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. 
And when the mouth, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Paul is not instructing a general, okay, I believe what you say, Paul. Got it. He points out that the heart must make a confession. And that's something that neither you nor I nor anybody else can hide from God. A true conviction and confession of our death, of his death and our sins, it's a message for all. And he finishes this testimony of the gospel by again quoting an Old Testament verse from Isaiah, one that had been shared years and years before the Messiah. It says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Isaiah 45, 17. Again, proving that the Savior was prophesied of the, of the uh, excuse me, the Savior was prophesied and foretold about years ago. The change was coming. Change needed to happen for the salvation of God's people. And again, when it did, the majority failed to recognize it. But Paul doesn't give up. He knows that the Jews are reluctant to see the new law. He knows and sees that they will not give up the old traditions of their faith and accept this new gift of righteousness and salvation through Jesus Christ. So knowing that the Jews may not listen, Paul continues to do the work that God called him to in the book of Acts where he said, you will be a chosen instrument of mine carrying my name to the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. He continues to share the gospel. Let's continue on, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And a foolish nation will make you angry. But Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And hear this, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. see, Paul's desire is that all people would know the gospel of Christ. Truth is, if generations did not heed Paul's teaching here in the book of Romans and elsewhere to share the message, you and I would not be sitting here saved or having the opportunity to be saved. Generations upon generations have brought that to us. This message is alive and well. 
And you and I are the product of thousands of years of teaching. We are literally living proof of this verse. And I know that I am very thankful and I feel very blessed that people chose to preach the good news of Jesus Christ despite the fact that not all believed in it. And that led to me understanding that message. In this passage also, you can hear Paul's frustration and hurt with God's chosen people, the Jews. He seems to have a moment of disgust, realizing again that that the scriptures and what he's experiencing say that not all the Jews will accept his message. Some will be too proud to give up their traditions and the law. And sadly, they will not understand the true experience of righteousness before God because of that. But Paul does not stop sharing that message. And he ends chapter 10 by quoting a verse again from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 2, saying, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And it doesn't say that he's going to stop. You see, God will continue to position people to share his message of salvation. He knows that all day long he will share the story to people who might hear it, but many will ignore it. And Paul knows that it will be his calling to continue to teach the gospel message to all those that he comes in contact with, the gospel that is not obtained by works and not being measured by the 613 different laws that nobody could keep. Not obtaining it by being more good than bad. It's a message that shares God's love and compassion for his people. Yes, it was a big change. But the change is for good. So where does that leave us today? Well, I I really want to address two groups of people. And the first group of persons that I want to talk to here is those who have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who aren't saved. Those who have not accepted that he died on the cross and he rose again for your sins. He made you righteous. I plead with you, make that decision. Don't wait. Make that decision. The truth is for you, and I will say it plainly, there is heaven and there is hell. And upon breathing your last breath, you will go one way or the other. There is no holding tank or time of decision. The scriptures say very clearly, if you have not chosen Jesus at your death and your name is not written in the book of life, you will be separated from him. And the separation is not a kind one. You think this year has been bad. Eternity separated from him is much worse. I don't think we can really fathom what we will endure. 
You don't have to get yourself together to come to Jesus. Too many have said, I know I, I need to make that decision, but I, I got to fix this in my life, and I got to deal with this in my life, and I got to do that with my life. If that's where you're at, you don't get it. That's where God wants you. You can't do enough good to earn heaven. You can't be enough good to get into heaven. Nothing you do earns you righteousness. Keeping 613 laws, and those laws were good, they were good, don't get me wrong, but keeping them does not get you there. God is waiting with extended arms. If you are a believer, I want you to remind yourself of the righteousness that you gained by believing in Jesus Christ. To remind yourself you are forgiven. And you still don't have to earn his favor. You see, sometimes as Christ followers who accepted that message, we still believe that, that God might be upset with us because we did something wrong or God might not want us too much today because we have this long list of things we didn't do right. We still fall into that earning him. Let me remind you as a believer Believer, you don't need to be that way. You need to remember the gospel daily. It's not a one-time message. You need to remind yourself of the importance of it. You need to stay excited about it. You need to celebrate your salvation. You need to get in God's word and know him personally so that you are overflowing with this message. The change that you have experienced, other people need to know. And as Paul challenged us here, we have to move that message. Recently, within the last few months, and I can't remember when, I heard a preacher say the church needs to look more like a hospital. We need to care for those who are hurting, damaged, and bruised. We should not expect them to be well before they come. We need to take them broken and help them heal. Church, we have the medicine. We need to deliver it. Think of your family members that don't know Jesus. Think of your social group, your friends that don't know Jesus. Think of the workplace that you are in that doesn't know Jesus. Think of your enemies that don't know Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news.
We have to be excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have to share it when God presents the opportunity without shame, without fear, with boldness and celebrating what we have. And we need to let the healer do his work. Let's pray. God, I am thankful that it's by your hand lives are changed and not ours. And God, I'm thankful for the death of your son and the righteousness that gave to us, knowing that we couldn't obtain it. You knew we couldn't do it. And so you sent your son. And it's a free gift for all. God, I pray that we here who believe, I pray that 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 message excites our hearts and our minds and we realize the importance of it and that we share it without shame or, or worry. And God, I pray that that the people around us and the generations to come from that would know you. And know that the only way to righteousness is through you. God, thank you for loving us. And thank you for your grace and your patience. In Jesus' name, amen.